This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. There's a few episodes that I've done that have become very meaningful. Um, one of them was a tribute that I released to my father late last year. It's just a short sort of bittersweet ode to Martyr Square and my father's, yeah. my father's life. Um, number two is the episode that I did. Uh, back in June, I released it in early June, Lwedi. It's an episode that would not have been possible uh, without your voice. And I think uh, I think I'm I'm very lucky. I'm honored yeah, to have you know it's it's spending hours and hours editing someone's voice in the background and then sort of making it flow with other voices. It was pure pleasure. Uh, that was back in early June. So late October, I still get messages almost on a daily basis. Uh, Lebanese Jews, Syrian Jews, or just a, a wide Lebanese audience that's curious about this community, and they stumbled upon the episode. Mm -hmm. They've either listened to it, or they watched the visuals that accompany it, and it's almost like I am now becoming a mukhtar for the community, and I don't really know what to say all the time. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's a beautiful program. The way you edit it, the way you, you present it, it's really a beautiful, beautiful program. I would say it was beautiful thanks to you, thanks to Gabrielle, and thanks to David Daoud. And these voices together, uh, bringing Wadi Abujmil back to life, yeah. uh, pure joy for me. Uh, and now, sort of lucky that I sort of, I caught you. Yeah. You moved to the Emirates. And I was actually, you know, I was literally browsing Twitter. And then I stumbled across a piece in The National. I think this was maybe a week ago. If I'm not mistaken, yes. or maybe a little more than a week ago, it's a refugee who left the Middle East as a boy returns to UAE as a senior rabbi. Click. Oh, I know this guy. I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I know this man. And you know, it's it's funny. We've never sort of spoken in, through video, but I mean, I know your voice. Yeah. It's the first time we sort of see each other yes. visually. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course, it's Ilya Abedi. And I read through the piece and I was surprised. I'm like, oh, my God, he's doing exactly what all Lebanese do, moving to Dubai. <laughs> You're joining the club. You're off to the Emirates. <laughs> yeah. Now, for me, this is maybe selfish on my side. I, the only, would have been poetic justice had it been returns to Beirut. Right, right. But I mean, maybe that's beyond. So somebody in, in one of those Twitter things did write, next stop is Lebanon. Well, there you go. Yes, they did. Now, this is maybe a premature question, but I'll, I'll start it off. <clears throat> with, do, do you see this as sort of the first step 
to a potential return to Beirut, perhaps just as a tourist. Forget the forget the role, forget the job, forget even the the symbolic moment that would be just you as an individual. Is this sort of the first of perhaps a later stage, a later step to visiting Beirut, or is that still sort of it's too early to tell? Uh, no, I, I I do hope that uh, that this is the first step to making the return to that region, especially to Lebanon and to Beirut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I had mentioned to you a thing in the past that I did plan a trip yes. to Beirut in 2011, uh, and unfortunately, because of the war uh, of the civil war in Syria, that was uh, that was cancelled. I was told actually it's postponed, so I'm still waiting. Mm-hmm. So I, I yes, I do have. I don't think it's late uh, or it's too early to 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 see that. I, I do see, I do see a future that is uh, a brighter future for that entire region. We have to take care of some uh, trouble spots eventually, but yes, I do see that coming in the next few years. I think it would be a very important moment for Lebanon. All the more symbolic, of course, if you're returning as perhaps one day, as sort of a representative of the community as a, as a rabbi. But even just the visit, I think, would be would be important. And I, I hope that happens. And I say this again, this is selfish. This, yeah. this, the step you're making now is very important. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But of course, as somebody who sort of thinks of Lebanon as home, it would be a, it would be a real thrill to see you there. No, it's also from my own personal uh, view and, and, and feeling is that, yeah, the, going back to Lebanon to at least just visit, uh, that would definitely uh, close the circle, the right. real circle that, that, that exists. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I have hope, but I see it. I see it happening in the next several years. I see it happening. You have to tell me if you're going, so I make sure that I'm there. Because right now, for better or worse, I'm in New York, and you're in New York too. And I think I'd like to maybe touch on what happened earlier today. It kind of speaks to the moment. The last time we spoke, it was just as COVID was taking off, and all of us were sort of taking extra precautions and staying indoors. We agreed to meet through Skype audio. And of course, we sort of, that was it. It was just a very, it was a lovely exchange, but it was audio. It was very distant except we're both in New York. And here we are, we're still in New York. And it took several hours to do your vote today. That's also speaking to the moment. I've taken the shortcut. I'm doing my absentee ballot, but the symbolic, I think, gesture is important as well to do it in person. That said, we agreed to meet in person, and I hope that happens over the next two weeks. But I understood it right that the move to Dubai is happening very soon. It's happening in November. Can I just ask you about what your expectations are, let's say, from that kind of move? And I mean it only as, do you see this as a, is this a historic moment where there's normalization happening, where there are peace treaties being signed, that this sort of fits into that narrative, that there's an opening that wasn't really, if it was there, it was done in maybe smaller corners, it wasn't sort of headline news, let's say. I understand that there is a Jewish community in the Emirates, there is a rabbi in the Emirates, and there's a there's a functioning community, that this is not sort of uh, the first step, those steps have been made. But do you see your return to the Middle East, or let's say your move to the Emirates as fitting into the wider, maybe geopolitical shift that we've been seeing the last few months. 
Or am I overthinking it when I put that kind of burden <laughs> on your individual move to the Emirates? Uh, no, you're absolutely correct. I think this is a historical moment for that entire region mm -hmm. uh, and those entire people. Um, me going there, as we began saying, it does close the circle, but that's more for an individual. But I am not just myself. I think I represent the Sephardic Middle Eastern community. Mm -hmm. So with me as an individual going there, it is closing the circle for an entire community that lives all over the world, North America, Central America, South America, Europe, and Israel. And for them, this has been a, a historic moment. I have received five, 600 uh, text, emails, voicemails, calls, uh, WhatsApps, you name it, all the medium of communication congratulating me, but all in a sense, trying to live vicariously through me mm. Uh, mm. Uh, moving to, to Dubai and to that, to that region, because they all felt that uh, this is the right moment. This is a historic moment. And this is a moment that's going to have uh, very positive uh, repercussions and consequences um, in, in that entire region. Yes. And do you think this kind of move would have been possible without that type of normalization, sort of without a treaty, without signing the Abraham Accords? Would you have made this step or, or is it sort of separate that this was going to happen with or without those types of... Uh, peace deals and uh, and the like there's no question that the the, the, the normalization or the peace treaty uh, was a very very strong catalyst for that mm -hmm. um i have known the community now for almost two years mm -hmm. uh i have uh, met them uh, spoken with them celebrated with them uh they have been consulting me for the last two years in all kind of areas religious spiritual uh, even political areas you know so i'm kind of their consultant uh, <laughs> their their advisor uh given my background of course mm -hmm. uh and i have had meeting with with officials also uh in new york in washington and in in dubai nothing to do with me being a rabbi there it was more being who right. I am here and who I represent. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, and only in the last two, three weeks is that they told me, you know what, why don't you just come? And so, uh, and, and be here and, and lead us. And, uh, and oh, so this is very fresh. It's just the last few weeks that this sort yes. of decision was made. I the see. The decision was made the last few weeks. However, like I said, my contact and my, uh, and my uh, being there, I've been there several times. Right. And my connection and contact, and uh, in the last two, three years, two years has been uh, has been constant with, with that community. But mm -hmm. the move, it was only the thought of the move was only in the last two, three weeks. And definitely, the normalization and the peace uh, treaty, the Abraham Accord, were a very, very strong catalysts. You know, it's amazing how things shift so quickly. Once that kind of news becomes. Once it's digested that there's a relationship between the Emirates and Israel, that you see these sort of smaller things happening on the side. And I think this is one of those smaller ripple effects that a Lebanese, Jewish, American, perhaps multilingual, multinational rabbi who's lived in New York for most of your life is now moving to the Emirates. And I think that's that's a that's a wonderful sort of it's a wonderful 
side effect to those normalization treaties that we don't maybe these stories are not shared enough. And I, I was really I was really happy to see that. Again, knowing that I'd rather see you in Lebanon, but nonetheless, nonetheless, that there is an open Jewish community in the Emirates that sees its position there as sort of non-negotiable. Uh, you call it a side effect uh, of of this normalization. Uh, I have to tell you that um, we ain't seeing nothing yet. <laughs> that famous, uh, famous statement of the of the positive changes that are they're going to be further taking place in that entire region. Mm. I am mm. only one story, although it has become a big story in the yeah. media throughout the world. But I'm only one story. The, the 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 abundant amount of things that can be done because of this normalization. The, not just bilateral, but multilateral uh, uh, agreements and uh, and business, science, technology, mm -hmm. cultural exchanges. Uh, they're really innumerable, innumerable positive changes that are already taking place and will be taking place even more in that entire region, not just in the Emirate. And so, yes, that shows you also how important is peace between people. How important is living in peace between nations? How important is is uh, to to have cooperation, coexistence, mm -hmm. and, and harmony? It, you know, just to use the the the, the famous uh, the famous uh, you know parallel. The sky is the limit, and now with satellites and and uh, and space travel, the sky is even smaller, <laughs> even more. And so so yes, so so that's the positive things that that the a peace treaty amongst people. And and I want to make a. a um, a, a uh, analysis to that mm -hmm. statement. There's a difference between peace between people than between governments. Uh, because peace between governments is basically, you respect me, I respect you. You don't touch me, I don't touch you. And we will cooperate in things behind the scenes so nobody can see. And I have to say that that has been the peace between Egypt and Israel or Jordan yeah. and Israel. Mm -hmm. Although I know with Egypt, there's much more going on that, that the eye can see. But this is different. The peace between the United Arab Emirates and Israel or Bahrain and, and Israel and now Sudan and Israel. Yeah. And we have five more coming up. Those are going to be peace between people, nations and people. And those are this that type of peace is what the whole world needs. We need a peace in which uh, not just it's a, ce a you know a, 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 a ceasefire, or uh, you know we don't touch me, I don't touch you. We need a peace that we're going to cooperate, we're going to live together, we're going to help each other, we're going to develop the region uh, together, for the benefit of of everybody around. And so that's why I see that this peace is going to have great positive changes in that entire region, in the in the near future. But let me ask you, I'm curious, okay, maybe there's two questions here, and I'll, I'll go back to the, I like the analogy between governments and, and people, but going back to just what the community, how the community is right now in the Emirates, is it, is there perhaps a number or a figure and, so, and it's, and it's, it's makeup, it's actual makeup. I'm curious what this community really looks like, sounds like, because I, I know nothing about this. It is believed, it's estimated mm. that in the Emirates, there are 600 to 800 individual Jews. Okay. Uh, so, now, so it is a very small community. In uh, that yeah, sense, it's a yes. very small community. But mm -hmm. even of those six to 800, 
uh, only 250 or so have identified publicly as Jews, and mm. they have been mm. they have been active in the community. Mm-hmm. The others have not identified only because they either wanted to maintain privacy and they were either concerned, job, business relations. Mm-hmm. You know, they were not they were not keen in, in making public who they were. Mm-hmm. But uh, now many of them are starting to come out of the shadow, so to speak, uh, because now that the peace is 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 on, now that uh, there is bilateral uh, agreements, now that there is uh, exchange, business, technology, and so many of those people are coming out, and yes, and I are identifying as Jews. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the composition of the community really varies. You know, um, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, population is estimated at 10 million people. Right. Out of those 10 million, uh, 8 million or 80% are really expats. They're not right. right. And they come from practically 194 countries from all over the world uh, to work. Some of them, they run from CEOs to waiters to, to, uh, to janitors, you know, and the whole gamut of work that the United Arab Emirates offers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have many people from all over those. So the Jewish community is a representative of that too. So you have Ashkenazi, you have Sephardic, you have Middle Easterns, you have North African Jews, you have European Jews, you have South American Jews, you have North American Jews, you have Israelis with the, uh, you know, then they had a double passport, but now with the right. Israeli passport is good enough. Yeah. And so, uh, so the community reflects basically the population of, of the Emirates. So it's, so it's a very diverse Jewish community. Yeah. Yes, it is. It and is. that sense, maybe you're the perfect person to be there because you sort of, you're in one of the most diverse parts of the world, regardless, Judaism and otherwise, but that it's sort of maybe a, it's a natural shift to an equally diverse uh, Jewish community uh, away from New York. And I'm, I'm, I like the analogy you gave earlier about peoples and governments, and you sound very optimistic. And I just want to gauge your mind on this. Do you see this really as taking, as resonating among the populations of the countries that we see normalizing and the upcoming five that you referred to earlier? And I know perhaps two or three of them, but maybe I can gauge you on that as well. That that Do you see this shift happening among the peoples and that's equally sort of apparent as the government relations and and how do you see that shift because i'm again from somebody who knows little about the sort of the the wider story taking place where does that optimism come from Right. So, so well, as a rabbi, I have to believe in messianic time. Right. <laughs> so, if you ask me uh, from a religious point of view, as a rabbi, I'll tell you what, we are in messianic times and in messianic times, we know the wolf <laughs> is going to live with the lamb and, and, uh, and uh, there's going to be peace. But uh, but let me speak now more as a doctor, maybe. Or as well, a, there we, yeah, exactly. Right? Can I get your, a, your surgical view on, on the yeah, situation? Or as, or as a historical, political uh, observer or commentator. Yes. <laughs> let me say that, uh, again, uh, peace, the best peace that happens is when it's from the bottom up and not from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, uh, the relations or the relationships between Emiratis, individual Emiratis, even individual Saudis and Bahrainis with Israeli citizens and Jews uh, has been taking place for the last at least 10 years via social media. Yeah. 
So, so, uh, uh, so I think the governments of these countries sense that, and and they realize that uh, that the population are kind of demanding uh, that uh, that peace, demanding that normalization, demanding the ability to travel there, to exchange a cultural exchange, a business exchange, technological or whatever exchange that countries can have. So, so again, that's the best part of a peace is if it's bottom up not top to bottom that's interesting One. so it's, it's born out of the eco sort of the online ecosystem i, I would I, I i believe so because hmm. a uh, the, uh I, I was told by a high official of, of of the uae that they did a poll they took a poll after signing the peace treaty mm-hmm. of their population to see how much support do they have and they told me that they would have been happy if they had 50 percent of the population supporting it and the other 50 eventually hopefully it will come to their unbelievable surprise 85 percent of the population supported the abraham accord uh and so they were flabbergasted with results like that and they said i believe we did the right thing Hmm. so and i believe that in bahrain uh, the, the percentage if it's not the same is near that same uh, and I believe eventually Saudi Arabia will have uh, also a similar type of, of, of percentage, definitely over 50%. You're going to have a strong, a strong peace. Um, mm. If I make also comment about course, peace yeah. between governments, mm-hmm. uh, of course, a peace can begin that way. And, and then it's up to the government to transmit from top to bottom, mm, that mm. desire to live in peace, that desire to cooperate, that desire to be good neighbors, that desire to, to live in harmony with your neighbor. Uh, but then the government has kind of the, the key to that, to that door or the faucet to that, to that peace. Right. And the government, unfortunately, turns it on and off uh, when they need it. Uh, and I have to be very frank here that uh, the peace with Egypt, even though at the level of governments wa- was was pretty good, uh, security-wise, intelligence-wise, it was pretty good between e- Israel and still very good. And it's even better now than what it was. Um, or even between uh, Jordan and Israel, the peace at the level of government government is, is even less than the peace between Egypt and Israel, than between Jordan and Israel. But we have seen that this piece was signed in 1979. Right. We're talking about what for, oh, for more than 40 years. Yeah. And yet peace between people has not been achieved. And the only people that I can say we can blame is the head of governments of, 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 of that country that they had, because unfortunately he used that peace to benefit the government, but he did not use that peace to benefit the people. Because at any moment in time when he felt threatened or when he felt pressured, then they always used Israel as a scapegoat. And so the population has always been hearing that. And he was not educated uh, by the government to love their neighbor, to want that peace, to want that harmony with with, with Israel. The same thing is happening in Jordan. Uh, in Jordan, every few months we see actually condemnation from the from the Jordanian government about whatever action and decision Israel took. Mm-hmm. And so when, when the population hears that, they're being educated not to want peace with their neighbor. They're being educated not to want to live in harmony. Can I can I ask, and this is, I mean, maybe 
without getting too deep into the political quagmire, maybe, but but touching it only in how it perhaps affects what you said earlier, which I really like. And you mentioned this during Luedi, social media has even allowed for a huge Lebanese diaspora to learn more about its Jewish community at home and abroad. So I like that prism, that social media or the interconnected world we live in allows people to interact when governments prevent it. So I really like that in the background. But this kind of, I'm going to maybe just throw it out there, that the distance from the conflict, from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, would allow perhaps a country like the Emirates to normalize a, a an abnormal maybe relationship and that there's no real peace deal necessary, that it's really just an accepting, a normalization. Does that play into it where you have Egypt that did normalize and signed the peace treaty and Jordan as well in 1994, even the Palestinian Authority has varied negotiations, that there may be the conflict still lingers and therefore the closer you are to the conflict, the harder it is for the populations to accept peace. That's sort of maybe the inverse situation of what we're seeing, what we may see in in Oman, what we may see in, in countries that are not perhaps directly involved with the Israeli-Palestinian problem. Is that a fair way of putting it? That is a fair way of putting it. That that you're correct on that. Uh, with uh, with however a, a comment that first, mm. of course, the UAE was never at war with Israel. Right. Right. So it's easier to make peace that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, th- there was no uh, territorial claim. There is no historical conflicts. So of course that paves the way faster. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Mm-hmm. But take, for example, the, 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 the PA, the Palestinian Authority, or, or even Egypt and, and Jordan. Uh, when you make peace, you need to educate the next generation to accept that peace, to cherish that peace, to want to be part of that peace. It is true that the, the, the proximity to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict makes it much more difficult. However, if the governments take that initiative in changing the textbooks and trying to teach peace, harmony, coexistence, then then even that proximity could be completely eliminated. I'm going to maybe push as far as I can without, because I'm really curious and I'm glad this is coming up. I'm lucky that I've been able to travel my whole life. You meet you meet all types of people when you're not in the Middle East, which is odd. You meet everyone in the Middle East when you're not in the Middle East. Iranian-Americans, Israeli-Americans, Palestinian-Americans, Emiratis visiting the U.S. So you get to sort of, you see the world in a sense, and particularly a city like New York, which is very, um, it forces you to accept, even when you're unaccepting, which I think is a great thing. And I hold this to a high, I mean, I, I really enjoy that that real diversity. But I'll, I'll maybe suggest and you tell me if i'm if i'm wrong in my assumption the most anti-palestinian words i've heard are among israelis the average israeli will hold less uh judgment or less perhaps even prejudice against an emirati by default and that's largely because there's been no interaction israelis and emiratis if they meet they meet in maybe london or maybe they meet in, in their travels they don't really meet often at home in the region is that part of it as well, that there's there's absolutely no interaction or, or minimum, therefore there's no built-in hesitation or prejudice? Rather than the government and what you were saying earlier, the lexicon in schools and the education, is, is that part of it, at least, 
when it comes to the 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 smoothness of this of this peace deal yeah, your observation is absolutely right. Of course, of course, the distance being uh, uh, not enmeshed in that conflict in that region, you're absolutely right in that analysis. Uh, however, that, that that point of education is also very important and very mm -hmm. necessary because, mm -hmm. uh, again, that um, just that just promises that the next generation will be hateful. Yeah. Uh, will 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 not be willing to live in peace. Will not be willing to to compromise and to live in harmony. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes, distance is much is very important. Yeah, because in New York, uh, you're very cosmopolitan. We have friends that are Palestinians, that are Egyptians, and we sit and we sing Arabic songs together, and we, <laughs> we, you know we we, we eat uh, our Middle Eastern cool. And and there's, there's nothing that 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 more beautiful than that. No question mm -hmm. about that. But for the region itself, unless unless we educate the next generation to want to live in peace, to want to live in harmony, it's going to be difficult. I'll tell you, I, I was in Egypt last year, and I had the I had the you know I had the, the honor of of meeting with the president Abdel Fattah al Sisi, and I had the opportunity to walk the streets of Cairo. I have to say, I had my my kippah on. My, I worked as a Jew, and I have to say I was welcomed by many, many people. The, the, the average Egyptian in the street, they, they would even say shalom. You know, they use that term, shalom or salam. So, so I had a great feeling, mm. great feeling that now even the population in Egypt wants that peace and wants to welcome us and wants to 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 you know to live in harmony so there's no question that that the the, the egyptian population is opening up that way and i tell you I, I felt i felt very comfortable there very welcome very friendly the, the the average egyptian in the street very friendly and so that needs to be uh, more uh, nourished it has to be nurtured and nourished so you could have a peace like with the uae now let me ask you though that that's a very nice side story to the government that signed a peace treaty and didn't push on that lower level sort of the the, the bottom up idea that that we just that we discussed do you put that on social media or no, maybe not necessarily just social media but the fact that in the late 1970s when that peace deal was signed i mean it was a very it was a lot of effort to actually go and and meet somebody and now you meet that person on your phone yeah. you haven't is that is that the maybe that's the magic behind what's happening there's no question that social media has it's very very strong positive uh, aspect and of course it has also a negative aspect but mm. uh, uh, but yeah social media has played a tremendous role in war and peace mm. Uh, mm. But in war, we know the you know the, the so-called Arab Spring. Uh, social media was social media fed. Right. So of course, for some people was positive, for some people was negative. Uh, but uh, in peace now between uh, the Gulf and and, and Israel uh, and that region, social media is playing a very very positive role, because it is true when you don't know your quote unquote enemy uh, well you fear them. And once you fear them, you start hating them. Uh, but 
the more you know them, the more you see that they're as human as you are, the more you see that they want to also live in peace and harmony like you, the more you exchange uh, knowledge and you exchange the culture, the more you're going to feel that we're all humans at the end of the day. We all created in, you know, in the same fashion. We, we, we all have our emotions. We all have our, our, uh, our you know, uh, achievements, our desires. And yes, so social media has helped in getting to know each other much, much, much better. And now you don't have to rely on one reporter reporting something falsely. Right, uh, right. right. Uh, because you can get the truth from 500 people immediately. Yeah. With one tweet, with one comment, with one picture. And so that definitely has helped positively the rapprochement of, of the people in the region and the nations in the region. Yes, the social media, I think, uh, is uh, something to, to, to thank them for good things and for the bad things, we have to be, be aware of them. I like that dissection of social media. And I think that's an accurate portrayal that the positives are are there and the negatives are there. And, and the positives are unusual the way the negatives are unusual as well. And I'm experiencing it myself. I'm, I'm learning how to navigate social media and, and its impact on me. And I'm a bit older. And now I see the younger generation depending on it and sort of using it as, as their information. And that, that maybe is a bit of the negative as well, that the fact checking that you kind of hinted at it's harder to do now. You have to be proactive. You mentioned potentially five countries normalizing relations with Israel. I have to double check, triple check, quadruple check whenever I see a new country on the list. I mean, and it's you have to really be extra careful because otherwise you would think everyone made peace. <laughs> right. And may I ask you, though, do you know what these five are? Or do you have a sort of a feeling for what the five are? And I, I can only think of too but i'm curious i i I have a feeling i cannot tell you (laughs) i have uh, i have information uh i have a feeling and i have some knowledge if i could say that uh you know publicly sure (laughs) so so uh so these are the next five uh, uh, countries, not in that order Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm going to try to put them in 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 that order as, as much as i as I feel about it, as much as I think mm-hmm. that that's who they're going to be. So, so Sudan is already off that list. Yes. So we have Oman. Mm-hmm. We have Morocco. Oh, okay. Two. We have uh, Kuwait. Three. And believe it or not, Syria and Lebanon. Ah, okay. So we need to go there. That's so, actually, uh, that's so a- those are the countries that I believe, uh, within the next uh, two to three. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed Saudi Arabia. I was going to actually ask you if that was on the list. Yeah. So that makes them, I think, six countries. Uh, only because Morocco is not from that region. Right. But, but it, it should be counted. So it's really five from that region plus Morocco. And Morocco kind of had economic trade in the past. There was a represent. Yeah. I think there was a representative office at some point. Sure. So there's almost something low level ties but sure. you know you you ha- i mean you mentioned lebanon's on the list and this is from your side it's a subjective view would you visit lebanon without that peace treaty without that normalization or are you waiting until that happens so i will visit lebanon at any moment that i am invited and i'm, mm. I'm assured of of uh, of 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 protection and security 
Okay. Yes, I have no uh, no problem doing so before the peace treaty. I'm not waiting for a peace treaty to. I'm, I'm just waiting for the tranquility in Lebanon. Yes, right. Well, that, that's understandable. Absolutely. So that's yeah. that. That's the that's the only reason. I think the Lebanese people here here is going to be again a peace from bottom up. Mm. It's going to be a peace between people. Uh, then between government, uh, the way they have been living in the last several decades is not acceptable for beautiful Lebanon, for the Switzerland of the Middle East, or from Paris of the Middle East. If, if it's a Switzerland of the Middle East, then it should be like Switzerland, in which people, you know, have a good economy, live in peace. They don't have to fear for their lives uh, and tranquility, you know, be productive and, and prosper. And so I think that the Lebanese people uh, have realized that it's time for Lebanon uh, uh, to be at peace with all their neighbors and, and to be in peace internally. Unfortunately, I think before there will be a peace externally, there has to be a peace internally in Lebanon. Uh, and they've come to the realization that a divided country uh, cannot be a peaceful country. And uh, Lebanon has been divided since the civil war, unfortunately. And uh, they have to, they have to uh, come together and say, we are all Lebanese. And uh, we're not this group, that group, plus the other group. Once uh, they come to that realization that we are all Lebanese, then they will fight very, very hard to bring Lebanon into a peaceful existence internally and a peaceful coexistence with, with its neighbors. I want to say something on a personal note, because I've done roughly 220 episodes for the podcast, and I've met many Lebanese from Leban living there, have gone through all the horrible stuff that has happened in, in recent months. Lebanese abroad, hoping for a better country, but always being extra cautious, and that there is a deep pessimism that has sort of settled in. And I think it's your voice that has been probably the most optimistic. And it, who would have known it takes a Lebanese rabbi to offer hope for Lebanon. And I, I do feel hopeful when I, when I speak to you. And I think that, that larger, the, you mentioned messianic time, that wide picture I think is very helpful, stepping out of the uh, current predicament and, and trying to see things in a very long view. I, I hope, I hope Lebanon is on that list, at least when it comes to internal peace and some form of stability in the near future. And it would be lovely to go back to a Lebanon that functions. Switzerland may be a sort of a distant dream, but just a, a functioning stable state that one can bet on for the future would be a luxury. Um, I want to wrap, oh, sorry, please go ahead. So I, I want to say that, uh, that only when things get, become so bad, then things will become much better. As long as things don't get so bad, people don't look to improve things. They might get used to, mm. to, to the status that they, to, to the way that they're living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the hope can only come when the situation is very, very grim. And I think Lebanon is reaching that point. Uh, in which the situation is going to be very, very grim. And from that grim situation, hope is going to, 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 to be born and the need and the want for change that will take place. That's why I'm hopeful. That's why I'm hopeful. I'll wrap it up with reflecting on that hope 
And maybe if I can explore just your own personal story once again, we talked about it in Al-Wedi, I won't, I won't repeat it, that you left in 1971, you were very young, uh, and it's a beautiful story. And anyone listening or watching, I'm going to include that episode to this episode so people can, can hear it once again. Without going necessarily into the, those specific details, I hope I got this right, that your, your family has been, well, it's going back to the 15th century, that there's been a lineage of rabbis in your family that go back to yes. Spain? Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So that's, that's incredible. Yeah, sometimes it skips a generation or two generations, but it yeah. comes. Yeah. Oh, and and so, but is is your generation or your individual story is that one of those glitches that that left the region, and now you're in a way, you're preventing that glitch from continuing. That you're actually going back to the region once again, because I mean. I'm I'm curious. Is this a worldwide diaspora now in your own family that are rabbis throughout the world, or is this predominantly a Middle Eastern story? And now it kind of, it's your sort of return to the Middle East that's kind of bringing it full circle. Well, uh, so so starting from Spain, from Spain they went to Provence, so and then from Provence to Italy, and then from Italy to Greece. Heading east, and then to Turkey, and then <laughs> yes. from Turkey to Syria to Lebanon, and so right. it went like this, and then went back then to, to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you have had rabbis in Greece that are abadis in Turkey. In, I in, see. In okay. And uh, you know, along those five hundred years, mm-hmm. uh, my father was a rabbi in Lebanon, then he was a rabbi in Mexico, right? Uh, yeah. And and so and then. Here in, in New York, my father uh, had a cousin who was a rabbi before I came here. Uh, oh, I see. So the family was already involved yeah. in New York. Right. Yeah, right. was already in New York, mm-hmm. uh, although he passed away before I even came to the United States. So many of many of, of our community here, they, they see me as a kind of a reincarnation of that Rabbi Abadi who was here in the 50s and 60s. I see. Yes. So, yeah, and so now I'm going back there. We'll see where my children or the children <laughs> of my uh, siblings, uh, you know, where, where it goes. But, but I, uh, I trust that uh, that lineage will continue. I, I'll say it again. I, I, I'm sorry for repeating it. This is a thrill to gauge your, gauge your mind and to hear your voice and to really hear your optimism from time to time. It's a healthy experience for, I think, uh, anyone who's curious about this community, curious about your story, and uh, betting on a peaceful future for the entire region. So I really appreciate this, and I really, really hope we can make coffee happen next week at some Absolutely. point. It would be so great to at least meet in person. The question, do you, do you, the question is, do you want it to be a Turkish coffee or just a regular uh, American coffee? If you can get me a Turkish coffee, Turkish coffee. Okay, well, we'll have to look for that, definitely. I, I mean, if we can't... It's probably going to have to come to my house and, and have Turkish coffee with a little bit of cock. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll bring my mask in case it's required. And uh, I'll, I'm going to force you to sing some sabah because last time, you have no idea how much fun it was to make sure your words were syncing to her word, her voice. I mean, you've really? got a good sabah voice. <laughs> I don't know which song did I sing last time, Vuma. Marhabten, marhabten. That's that's a beautiful song for 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 uh, for Lebanon. Yeah, and you mentioned it last time. That's got all the names of all the different uh, identities and communities. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I had fun with that. So I, I'll, I'll make you maybe sing a bit of Sabah, <laughs> put you on the spot. Yes. Hacham, shukran once again. Shukran ilak, shukran ilak, ya habibi. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>